Shalom. This is Gary Duroshinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. Revelation chapter 6. Our children are dismissed through the side door with our teachers. Those of you who are remaining, turn with me to the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. As we continue our study in this wonderful book and as we think about the soon coming of our Messiah and his return. Let me read these verses to you, and then we'll draw our attention to some of the particulars. Beginning at chapter 6, verse 1. Now, remember, this is John, the disciple. Now, I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come, and I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright, red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. Verse 7 of Revelation chapter 6, When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe, told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants, their brethren, should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit 
um, when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? What a powerful passage, no? And you know, the passage follows an interesting, an interesting pattern. You know, when the book of Revelation opened, we were given, or John was given, he relates to us this uh, vision of the glorious presentation of Messiah. And he sees him in all of his glory to such a degree that he falls on his face as one dead. Remember, John was one who saw Messiah when he was transformed or transfigured on the Mount of the Transfiguration in Matthew chapter, what is it, chapter 17 or so. And there when he saw the Lord in his glory, again, they fell before him. In Revelation chapter 1, he sees him again in all of his glory, and then he falls on his face before him. And as a consequence, or following that manifestation of Messiah, we see seven letters are then distributed to the local congregations that were in Asia Minor. Then when we turn our attention to Revelation chapter 5, we see 4 and 5, we see again John is brought into the throne room Now he's not on the earth, but he's beckoned to come into the very presence of God, chapter 4. And when he's in the very presence of God, again, he sees the glory of God and the glory presence of God, I should say. Not the fullness of his glory, but a tremendous manifestation of his glory. And following that manifestation, we have the unsealing of the scroll with the unsealing of the seven seals. Now, in chapter 6, we have the first six. But if you look at Revelation uh, chapter uh, 8, we then are introduced to the seventh seal being opened, chapter 8, verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And following the opening of the seventh seal, we have the manifestation of the judgments of God that are uh, poured out, you might say, with the blowing of the seven shofarim, or shofarot, the seven horns, the seven trumpet judgments. And so the seventh seal opens the seven judgments that are introduced with the blasting of the shofar or the blasting of the horns. And when we get to the seventh trumpet, you then find seven bowl judgments are poured out. So you have seven seals, seven trumpet blasts of judgment, and seven bowls of judgment that are poured out on the earth. With the seven seals, we get sort of a panoramic view of what is going to transpire as the events begin to unfold that result in the return of Messiah. The events are meant to bring judgment on the world. Judgment on the world because of their mistreatment of God's chosen people. Remember, all of this is in preparation for the establishment of the Messianic kingdom. It's for the establishment of the reign of Messiah. 
It's for the establishment of his kingdom, which is the kingdom of Israel, that is to rise to the fore. And the result of that kingdom comes by means of the judgment that is poured out on the earth. Poured out on the earth because of the wickedness that has come to characterize our world. And judgment on the wicked ones because of their mistreatment, not only of one another, but particularly their mistreatment of Israel. Now, what's really neat is when you see the chapter open in chapter 6, we see that it's the lamb who is also a lion. Remember, we saw earlier that there was a scroll in the hand of the one seated on the throne. And there was no one worthy. It doesn't say no one powerful, no one wise, but no one worthy to open the scroll. And John begins to weep. And as he begins to weep, one of the 24 elders comes to John and says, don't weep because behold, the lion. But when he looks and he turns, he sees a lamb. And that's because of the mysterious nature of our Messiah. He is the God-man. He's the one who took upon himself human form, human, not just human form, human nature in all of its reality. And in taking on human nature in all of its fullness, yet without its sin, he was able to endure the penalty of our sin for us and to take on our sin that we might have eternal life. And so when John turns to see the lion of the tribe of Judah, the king of Israel is what is portrayed in that imagery, he also sees a lamb, one who would suffer for our sin. For Messiah must both reign and also provide an atonement for our sin. He must fulfill the priestly work of Messiah as our great high priest by giving his life for us. And then he would come to reign over the world and over his people. And so when we get to chapter 6, the focus is on him as the lamb. And notice it says that uh, as I watched when the lamb opened one of the seals. In other words, the one that sets in motion all of the events that are to transpire in preparation for the return of Messiah, is Messiah himself, is the Lamb. In other words, the events that we're about to read, and for that matter, all the events in all of world history and in our own lives, never occur haphazardly. They are opened up to us by the sovereign hand of God. And so in the book of Revelation, that's very clear. He opens the scroll. He opens the seals. He sets in motion what is to transpire, what is to take place. And notice when he opens the first seal, he has to open all seven before the scroll opens. But when he opens the first, we begin to see some of the action that's going to take place in the end times. Now, the seals are divided into two sections. The first four are usually referred to as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That's what the book of Revelation is called, the apocalypse, the apocalypto, the mysterious revelation that is to unfold. And so when you hear the four horsemen, it's a reference to these first manifestations of the seals that are opened. And you notice that one of the four living creatures, you remember when John is caught up into the very presence of God and he sees the Lord seated on the throne, around the throne are these four living creatures. And the creatures are 
presenting glory to God. In in Isaiah chapter 6, it says they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God uh, Almighty. The whole earth uh, beholds his glory. When we get to Revelation chapter, what was it, chapter 5, when they cry out, they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And so that's a reference to the eternal nature of the living God who is seated on the throne. And these creatures, these beings that God created, have six wings, and they speak of the glory of God. And they are in closest proximity to him, and so they speak of his glory and of his holiness, which is the principal characteristic of the nature of God. One of those four creatures, we're told in Revelation chapter 6, we're not told this, but it must be because of this, he's commanded by God to go and, with respect to the seal being opened, that he's then commanded by God, it would appear, and he shouts forth, come. This is very critical in understanding who the one on the white horse represents that we recognize that, first of all, one of the living creatures says, come, and then the being on this horse comes forth. It's important to keep that in mind, that he doesn't come forth on his own merit, but he comes forth because he's called to come forth. So there are those that have suggested, if you look at verse 2, that he looked, and behold, a white horse, its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him. He came out conquering and a conquer. Some have said, this is Messiah. Because if you turn to Revelation chapter 19, you'll find that there Messiah returns. And in his return, he's seated on a white horse. And of course, he comes as a king. But the differences between the coming one in Revelation 19 and this one in Revelation 6 are significant. And for that reason, I am not one that believes this is a reference to Messiah. This is really a reference to the false Messiah. It's a reference to the Antichrist, one that comes like Messiah, and therefore it's understandable why some might see this one as Messiah, because his whole coming is a coming in deception. He comes as an anti-Messiah, a false Messiah. And it's interesting to see the differences. First of all, you'll notice in Revelation 19, you can turn there if you like, but you don't have to. In Revelation 19, the one on the horse there is for sure the Messiah. Because we have his name also made reference in Revelation 19, where it says he's the king of kings and lord of lords. Well, there's no mistaking who that one is. Interestingly here, there's no name given to this one. That's a major difference, a major uh, 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 disconnect. But then there's another thing. In Revelation 19, he's wearing many crowns. In Revelation 6, this one has one crown. And what's also interesting, and I've mentioned this before, but the word crown in the Greek, there are different words for it. There's the word Stephanos, where we get the word Stephen from. Sally can corroborate that, right? Stephanos. And Stephanos is a victor's crown. It's a crown of reward a crown that is received because one has conquered something or has attained a certain status. But the crown that you read of in Revelation 19 is not a Stephanos. It is the word diadem, 
which is a crown of reign and of rulership. So they really are not wearing the same kinds of crowns. And in the case of Revelation 19, he has many crowns, whereas in this one, he only has a singular crown. It's interesting, too, in Revelation chapter 19, and I don't know of any other, uh, any other passage that says otherwise, but that when the Messiah comes, he always comes with a sword. But in Revelation 6, he's coming with a bow. And notice he doesn't have any arrows. He just comes with a bow. And that's because it would seem, and again, here it's speculative, it would seem that his conquering is short-lived. And his conquering, though will involve some military maneuvers, his conquering is in reality one of subterfuge and deception. And it's also interesting, in Revelation 19, when Messiah comes, he doesn't come to conquering to conquer. He comes to bring divine retribution. Here in Revelation 6, he's coming to conquer conquering. So they're very different, though on the surface they appear the same. But more importantly is that word come. See, because this one comes when the creature, when the created angelic being says to come, then he comes forth. Well, no one commands Messiah. He comes when it is his determination to come. So he never comes in response to a creature even an angelic one, as significant as one surrounding the very throne, beckons him to come. He does the will of his father only. But this one comes when an angelic being who is given a power and authority to bring him forth says, come. Because the angels will always do the bidding of God. And whatever God bids, those bidded will obey. So in my estimation, this first one that comes, this rider on a white horse, is not Messiah, but he is the anti-Messiah. And notice this too. When he comes, the following horses that come bring despair and destruction on the earth. When Messiah comes, he's going to bring peace. He's going to bring order. He's going to bring harmony. He's going to bring the world together under his authority and his rulership. But what follows in Revelation chapter 6 is revelation of utter destruction that will unfold and continue to unfold until the rider on the white horse in Revelation 19 brings the destruction to an end. So when the first seal is opened, the first thing that we see that will come about is the coming of the false Messiah. And by the way, that is what triggers the tribulation period. The tribulation period, which is a seven-year period, we've talked about this before, is not triggered by the rapture. And we talked about the catching up of believers. And I had mentioned, in my estimation, the catching up of believers will take place prior to the tribulation. And so many think that once we are caught up to meet the Lord in the air, uh, what is it, First Thessalonians chapter 4, then the tribulation period starts. But that's not so. That's a misunderstanding. The scripture never makes that connection. What starts the seven-year tribulation period is the signing of a covenant between the false Messiah and the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, which will take place sometime after 
that event, the rapture, the catching up, takes place. How far after? We're not sure. Could be years. Could be decades. We're just not sure. I would think it would be shortly thereafter, but we're not told a time frame, which matches also what we read here. Because once the false Messiah comes, then the events of the tribulation unfold. It's his coming and his signing of the covenant with Israel that initiates the seven-year period of trial and tribulation. And that's made very clear in, in Daniel chapter 9, because you remember the passage on the 70 weeks of Daniel, the final week starts with the signing of the covenant according to Daniel chapter 9. So this first one on this white horse is none other than the false Messiah who is to come. Now, once that horse or, uh, comes and the seal is opened, verse 3, he opens the second seal. And he says that he heard the sound of the, of the second living creature. And now another one that's surrounding the throne says, come. And in response to the command, another horse comes, this time a bright red horse, which really symbolizes what it will do because it takes peace from the earth. It does so with a great sword. So the message here is one of war. By the way, sometimes we misunderstand this too, but when the tribulation takes place, there will be three confrontations, three worldwide conflicts that will begin to emerge. There's not just one war, one battle. There is three that uh, unfold. There's the battle of Gog and Magog, recorded in Ezekiel 37, 38. There's the war that brings to a destruction three of the ten kings that Daniel speaks about. And then you have the final confrontation in an attempt to destroy Israel with the gathering of the forces at Armageddon, which converge on Jerusalem. So there's three battles that will take place in the last seven-year period of destruction. And so when the second horse comes forward, the second horse is a manifestation, a revelation that war is going to be a major, con uh, a, a major problem, a major issue in the end times as we move forward toward the return of Messiah. When you get to verse 5, it says, when he opened the third seal, he saw a black horse. And now here, this is really a manifestation or revelation regarding coming famine, which is not untypical following war. So you have a warrior type individual seeking to make war, conquering to conquer, one who's looking to reign as the false Messiah, and in his wake, he brings death and destruction. There'll be three battles, three wars that will be fought, three major wars, the consequence of which will be famine and heartache. That's why it says that, uh, and I heard uh, a voice saying, uh, a quart of wheat for a denarii. A denarius or a denarii was usually uh, understood as a day's wages. And so what he's saying is when famine strikes, it will take a full day's pay in order to buy enough wheat in order for you to have enough food for that day. Or you may choose to feed more than one person, in which case you would buy a lesser type grain instead of wheat, you'd buy barley. And because it's a less valuable kind of grain, you can get more barley for your, for your denarius. So one denarius will give you a quart of wheat, but one denarius will give you three quarts of barley. So if you've got a large family, you're going to be getting an inferior diet 
but at least everyone will be able to eat something. What's t- what they're talking about is famine will strike and there won't be enough food. And in order to get that food, you're going to be paying an exorbitant amount of money. And yet in the midst of all of that, God is still gracious because look what he also says. But do not harm the oil and the wine. Now you might think oil and wine were more valuable, olive oil and wine for the wealthy. But in reality, it was a common item in every household in order to cook with, but also for medicinal purposes. And so everyone had oil and had some wine that was in their home, unless they were destitute and on the streets and were beggars. And so what I think this passage means, and again, we don't know for certain, but I think what it shows is yet in the midst of all of this heartache, God will still show compassion because while there will be famine of the food, nevertheless, oil and wine will still be in some kind of, I don't know if abundance is the right word, but there'll still be availability to get those kinds of items, which are more essential, especially when there are medical necessities and when there's a great deal of war, certainly it would appear that that would be a need. And then if we go further, verse 7, when he opens the fourth seal, again, now the fourth uh, angelic being around the throne says, come. And now he sees a pale horse. By the way, the Greek word here for pale is where we get the word chlorine for, from. And so it's really pale green kind of a horse. And it symbolizes death. And so what he says is death and Hades followed him. Now, here's an interesting thing in the book of Revelation. Death and Hades are always paired together. If you look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, he says in verse 17, when I saw him, that is the Lord, when John first sees Messiah, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. They always come together. If you look at the end of the book of Revelation in chapter 20, John writes, then I saw verse, uh, verse 11, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up their dead who were in it. Here it is again. Death and Hades gave up the dead. Look at verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And so here in the book of Revelation, when the fourth angel speaks and the uh, fourth horse comes forth, death and Hades follow. And now look what it says. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, four means of destruction. It says by the sword, which would be war, famine, we already saw as a consequence, pestilence, disease, which oftentimes comes with, uh, with famine, and then a fourth by wild beasts of the earth, probably because famine, there's not enough food. Wild beasts are going throughout the world looking for food, coming upon human beings and attacking them as well. And so one quarter of the earth as a result of this fourth uh, horse is brought into destruction. Then you look at verse nine. Now the scene shifts. 
the scene was of these horses coming on the earth. But with the fifth seal opened, we now get a glimpse into heaven. And John sees the souls, the spirits of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. These are those that have died for their faith during this seven-year period of trial and tribulation. They've died because of their testimony. They've died because of their faithfulness to the word of God. It's a, the witness they have borne, the witness they held, the witness they had. By the way, the Greek word for witness is the word martyreo. We get the word martyr from that. It means that they were willing to stand and be counted as ones that were identifying themselves with the coming Messiah. No matter what the challenges were, they were willing to identify themselves with him. In the end of time, prior to Messiah's coming, it's going to be very difficult to be one that speaks about their faith. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers, and if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L.org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.